Thank you for agreeing to yeah. uh, do this interview with us. So I guess to just go ahead and jump in and get started, uh, I was gonna start with some questions kind of about COVID-19. Um, how do you feel the university handled COVID-19 over the past two and a half years, and was it done well? I, I feel, I feel like the university, I would say community at large handled it well. Um, and you know, we had a couple of key decisions to make back when it was unfolding. And I think it's also important to realize how little we knew when it first was, was happening. And that, you know, we didn't know what exactly, how it was spread and what, you know, what precautions to make. And a couple of things I think that worked well for us. One was um, trying to focus on a, a spirit of positivity and not, for example, penalizing students who went to parties or that kind of thing, and instead trying to encourage what we thought was positive sources of behavior. Um, I think that set the right sort of tone for, for the campus. Um, I also think if you look back at just kind of the way it progressed, trying to do what we could to protect such that we could in-person in experiences, I think that, that played out well. Trying to be flexible with offering different ways for faculty to deliver their courses worked well. Um, and, you know, certainly, I, I don't want to go back and redo those years, but, um, but I thought the campus rallied, and um, it, was, it was not a, a, a good experience by any stretch, but it was, it was unifying, I thought, at the time. And speaking about kind of coming back in person, you know, now we're all generally back in person for the most part. Um, how can UT help the campus community kind of get back to that more collegial and vibrant yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, and we're spending a lot of time thinking about how can we create more of that um, unifying, collegial, fun, vibrant campus uh, setting. So, um, and there's lots of reasons. One is we haven't been together, and I think it's important to, to bring us back together. A second part is we're worried about um, trying to help provide, provide an environment where students in particular feel like they want to be here all day that it's a place they might want to come back at night or, or be around. And I'm also uh, cognizant of the students who might live farther away from campus and having them feel like this is a place they can get their work done but also hang out and, and get to experience it. So it's everything from trying more events, um, planning for more capacity at those events. We've seen incredible attendance um, this year at, at things that have happened in person. Um, and then we're also making a new, renewed push on things like live music on campus. We're going to announce another, we did a big concert last spring, uh, the Black Pumas by the Main Mall. We're going to do another one um, in November um, on the Main Mall again. And little thing, not so little necessarily, but things like food trucks. We're putting, bringing in more food trucks on campus. So, and we're open to ideas. If uh, I realize that I am not uh, a cool 20 year old anymore, not that I ever was cool, but if there are things that the student body come up with that would make that campus vibe uh, more enticing and more interesting, we're, we're open to those ideas. Yeah, yeah. And we've also been, uh, we reported this week that uh, you know, the dorms have had a lot of COVID cases going in now and they had to get a new isolation policy of people um, isolating in place with their roommates who aren't also infected. Is the university doing anything? Are they concerned that too many cases on campus and are they doing anything to kind of address the issue? We've, we've been uh, continuing our communication stream uh, with each other, talking about uh, what we're seeing. We continue to rely on our health experts um, and one of the fortuitous things from the university's perspective is, you know, this pandemic hit after we had a medical school. So we've been lucky to have the faculty uh, from the medical school really helping shape 
um, uh, our, our conversations. Um, and again, not that we would want to see disease incidents spread, but we have um, had no reason from the health experts to think we need to change our policy or change our approaches um, at large. I think, you know, we're getting more to a normal cadence where um, we have to uh, figure out ways that students and faculty live with the disease. And, um, you know, if unless, you know, uh, something unforeseen happens, it's probably just going to be more how we go about the university's business um, for the foreseeable future. Kind of going on to uh, another section here. You know, Roe v. Wade was overturned this summer, and with that, abortions have now been you know, severely restricted in Texas. And we've heard anecdotally from a lot of students that they're just concerned now that they've lost their reproductive rights, and we've also reported that you know, incoming students aren't choosing UT because of the laws. Um, so what are your thoughts on these students? Yeah, a couple parts, and you know, one is it's it's obvious we have to follow the state and federal laws, and so that is the world we live in, and and we'll continue to do so. Um, I do think it's important for the university to do, do what we can to communicate uh, what resources are out there for students. So um, the communications team, with the health experts and the dean of students office, put a lot of work into an FAQ, trying to be very forthcoming about where students can find out more and what we can and can't say or can and can't do as a university. Um, and then the other thing I would tell you, and, and we do worry, that there are things that flare up um, in all states, but certainly in Texas uh, every so often that people point to as a reason why um, it may not be as attractive. The, the other th part I, I think it's important to remember, in the big scheme, Texas remains really compelling. And um, it, the vast majority of the time, it's a real asset to attract talented students who want to come. Um, and the history we've experienced the last several years bears that out. Um, but we want to make sure we continue to emphasize the positives, why, why students should want to be here, why we want them to feel like they belong here, why they will be supported here, and, and we'll set them up to do great things. And Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has said that he's going to target critical race theory at colleges and tenureship in this next legislative session. I know that you sent out a letter expressing the importance of tenure, um, and the faculty council had asked you and Provost Wood to you know, stand firm against the encroachment on faculty authority. I was just wondering, will you affirm that now? Yeah, I think, um, to me, these issues around things like um, tenure and academic freedom are all interrelated. So when we talk about um, our ability to continue to attract and retain very top faculty, tenure is one of the things we have to have in the competitive environment we face to get great faculty to be here. I also think it's important for all top higher education institutions, including ours, to have a campus environment where students and faculty are uh, encounter a wide range of ideas. And I think we should have a free exchange of those ideas. We have an environment with free speech where people feel like they can put things out on the table and debate them and brush up against them, have to make an argument, have to defend an argument, uh, understand what the data suggests. So I think getting that campus culture and climate right is part of the academic freedom idea where faculty feel protected to go out and do and sometimes riskier work that might have a bigger impact in the long run. Um, and that's part of what top universities do and that's part of what we continue to aspire to do. Are you concerned about the threat to academic freedom in institutions of higher learning? I'm, I'm concerned about 
the, the current, I would say, polarization of society is creating an environment where, in many cases, people don't want to, it appears to me that people don't want to encounter ideas that they don't really line up with. So I think it's, as I said before, I think it's important for universities to be a, a different kind of space where in, in, a, in, a, in a collegial way, we can put different ideas together and, and have uh, students and faculty wrestle with them. And, and I worry that the way society's been moving is counter to that, that idea. I was wondering what you might get. <laughs> I, I, I know. I was. I was. I was thinking I should stuff the ballot box. <laughs> oh, that was one of the uh, Starbucks ones, right? Yeah. That's right. Um, but is it, many students on campus are low income, and while many have you know financial aid and scholarships, but many still struggle to access basic necessities like food and housing. How will you ensure that all students at the University of Texas have proper access to these? Yeah, it's uh, making sure the university continues to be accessible. Uh, to, it's, it's a very hard place to get in, right? It's in, so congratulations on, for all of you of, of getting here. And we want to do all we can so that the students who can get in here and can succeed academically, that we position them to make sure it's affordable and that they, that's not a barrier to, to their success. And there are multiple prongs to that. So one is, as I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, but the Regents made a huge investment and we put a bunch of philanthropy behind it. Um, to make it so that it's called the Texas Advanced Commitment so that families in that kind of Pell Grant range of incomes of $65,000 a year or less, the tuition is, 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 there's no tuition that they have to pay directly. Um, and that family between sixty-five dollars and $125,000, there's some support. And we're trying to raise even more from the support of our alumni and our, and our donors to move more up that income curve and then also to have more support for housing in particular. Because uh, for many of our students, the housing and dining part is maybe more than tuition as far as an expense goes. Um, so that is a, a continued area of emphasis. The campaign we just an, announced in March, a billion, at least a billion of the six billion that we're trying to raise will be towards student support. And most of that's toward affordability. Um, so that's, that's one part. Second part, uh, back to housing. Um, the housing part is especially acute, I think, now in Austin. Um, we know that students have a better chance of success if they are close to campus, if they're proximate. And so we don't want to have a world where students, especially those who can't afford it, live farther and farther away because it's not going to help them be successful and graduate. Um, Dobie was one part of that strategy, acquiring Dobie. When we acquired it, it wasn't full. It was being used for even some rooms for things like corporate short-term housing. And so our belief was if we put it in our portfolio over time, we can fill it up and at a more affordable price point. Um, so I've, I see where the university is heading is trying to find more ways to, to build or partner to have more accessible housing um, that is at a, at a lower price point than much of what the private sector has been building. Um, it's also the same reason where we launched the Graduate Student Housing Project uh, by the baseball stadium is to, to provide more housing, for, in that case, for graduate students, because uh, the, the market in Austin is so tight. Speaking of Adobe, I know the- Oh, so one more thing, too. Do you mind? Yeah. Um, sorry. I just, it's something that I don't think all students know, but I think it's important. We do have resources like the Student Emergency Fund and uh, the UT Outpost and the, and the food uh, pantry. There are resources, and I, I always worry that students may not realize there are places to get help. And the, the Student Emergency Fund in particular 
uh, back to COVID, did a tremendous job of getting resources to students for everything from Wi-Fi access to laptops to a rent check. And so I, I wouldn't want our students to not realize that there are, in moments of acute need, we have resources to help. Sorry. But speaking about Dobie, you know, there was uh, some issues this semester at even like the start of it, uh, it not being uh, ready and maintenance issues and people uh, like not able to live there on time. And then also too, I know that we've heard that it's still like not super affordable for some students. And uh, you know, it's also like almost like a dorm style living. So are we looking at possibly like having like actual like apartments for students like in the future that yeah we we haven't so, so first part on the Adobe part just to be clear so it is true that um, when we got in there after it was fully vacated or all but vacated and after the end of the spring we realized it needed more extensive repairs than we realized uh, before and so uh, we had to scramble toward the end of the summer to, to get it ready um, we were able to accommodate every student who had a contract the the one uh, the one caveat to that was we had some students who requested a single that had to start in a double. Um, and we made it rent-free while they're in the double because we didn't I, I, we didn't want to, um, that's a way to sort of have a compromise, right? If, if you wanted a single, we wanted to deliver a single, but we had, you have a roommate, then uh, we want to at least make it free for those students for that time period. So so I, I to my knowledge, we didn't have anybody with a contract we couldn't house, um, but we had to scramble to, at the end. Um, and over time, we'll, we'll finish the rest of the repairs in the building and again, hopefully, have a full for next year. Then your question about um, the future, the, the, the main goal for, for us that we've been talking about is trying to have um, housing that is more in the affordable range compared to what much of the market around campus offers. We haven't gotten so far as to talk about is that apartment style versus dorm style. We have enough rooms now to offer every first year student a room. Um, some may not take it, but we have enough in that capacity. Where I think we have a lot of, 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 of opportunity to, to do more is for the sophomores through the seniors. And, and to your point, they may want more of an apartment style. And so we'll have to figure out how we can do that, but ideally keep it at a more affordable price point. And then, going on here, uh, this isn't in the news too much anymore, but UT's alma mater is still a contentious subject among some of our students and alumni. And the Texan hasn't has a chance to ask you yet about the eyes of Texas since the report came out in March 2021. And then UT's report, you know, found that the song is not overtly racist. Uh, but the contradictory report that was written by a tenured professor showed that much of what was in that report was not entirely accurate. So I was just curious, what are your thoughts on that report's finding? Yes, this is Professor Martinez. Yeah, and just the, and I'm, I'm sure aware, but there is a, a back and forth even on that report right back from uh, the, the committee that was formed. Sure. Um, you know, I would say that the committee had had some <clears throat> truly world-class historians on it, um, as well as other community participants. Um, and I think they did a great job. And they, um, I've heard of nothing to my knowledge when you take all the back and forth out of it that would shake the foundations of what they found. Um, so I, I'm very grateful for all the work they put in on the side of their day jobs to, to do that work. And it's one of the great luxuries of the university is you can bring um, some incredibly talented people together to, to tackle a problem like that. Sure. Now, I mean, but still, and kind of going back to where we were the last time that we talked to you is, um, you know, 
You had said that the song has connections to difficult things with racist elements, but that you couldn't give a clear answer on whether the song is racist, uh, just because you didn't have all the facts from the report. So now that we have both of those, I just wanted to ask again, is it is it racist? Yeah, I, I would reach the same conclusion that the report did, that to me it's, and again, the, the, I would, their line, it's not overtly racist, I think it's a good line, it's the right line. Um, there are things that that song went through the, the journey of our country, of the South, of our state, of our city. Um, and there are parts of that past that are um, horrific. And so it's connected to, to parts of our history that um, are racist parts of our history. Uh, but the song itself, I agree with the report that it's not overtly racist. There's still obviously some that would disagree with that and would say that, you know, it is. And, you know, there were even Texas lawmakers that came out and were against the song at the time. What would you say to those students? Yeah, I think the, the, the part I would come back to is you and I can, or, you know, people can disagree on these things, right? And, and it's not that um, we mandate a, a particular worldview of any uh, piece of our history whether that's our song or what we, um, what my predecessor did with the statues on the main mall or building names. Reasonable people can disagree over the degree to which um, uh, those songs or symbols or, or piece of our history that they feel they do or don't belong on a campus. And, and even you know people among the faculty would disagree over whether um, the university should or should not have done things like remove the statues off the mall. Um, so the message I would like to convey is we can disagree and still belong to the same university. Um, I think back to the polarization, I think too often this idea that people disagree over a topic somehow means that there's a, a, a binary right and a wrong and then one should be off the island and one belongs on the island. Um, I'd like to have a spirit of a university community where um, we can have disagreements and have conversations about it and come back to try to find something common in the middle. I mean, with this issue, I mean, it almost is like a right and wrong just because, you know, it's like either, either it does get played or it doesn't get played. Um, and I remember in the summer 2020, you know, that you said that the song was going to remain. Did you ever consider changing it? Oh, oh sure. I mean, the, the, it was not like I woke up and said, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore everything I've ever heard or known or, or might learn and, and reach a conclusion that as I said, um, I think it was in the CBS This Morning interview I did with, with Professor Rich Reddick, but part of what we felt like we needed was to, to take, um, give the committee time to do its work and space to do its work. Um, so we declared the song was staying. And I was asked in that interview, is, is, was it, is there a hypothetical where you might have changed your mind if the committee had found something different? And I said, sure. So, so if, if, if the committee had done all it did and there was a different set of facts emerged, then I think any of us would uh, need to be open to, to reconsidering that evidence. So uh, the Longhorns are now set to join the SEC here in a couple of years. And you know this is going to bring back the Texas A&M rivalry. We're going to you know, probably play Bama again. And the reports are saying that we're going to get more money from being in the SEC compared to the Big 12. How do you think this shift is going to affect UT's culture? Culture? I don't, um, I mean, my hope is that the shift um, to the SEC when it happens will create even more of the kind of vibrant, fun game day environments like we had on Saturday. 
Um, and athletics is one of those things in our campus, and there are other things as well, that is a, is a reason to bring us together, um, to bring our alumni back, to bring students together. And there are students who want um, that part of their experience when they decide where they go to college. Um, it's also, and not for everybody, but there's also for, for people, it's a way to, uh, that can cultivate a love for the university that can last for, for decades after somebody graduates. Um, so my hope is that the enthusiasm and excitement over an, what will be an, an incredibly interesting and fun slate of, of games um, will create a more reason where people want to come back to campus or go to a game, whether they're a student or an alum or just somebody in the community. And then uh, last semester you were, uh, a group of students fighting climate change was going to meet with you during a President Student Advisory Committee meeting and they were taken off the agenda that day, but they had intended to uh, present a list of five demands, and one of those was for the UT community to acknowledge the climate crisis and pledge action to it, um, including having the university be a leader in, ener in energy transition. Uh, can you formally acknowledge that climate change is real and that there is a crisis? Yeah, I mean, so everything I understand to be true. So first part, just to be clear, that agenda is decided by student government leadership. So I just don't want to be, act like somehow I pulled it off. And, and, and um, so that, that never became a topic of the meeting. Um, my understanding of the data is the climate is changing. Uh, the world is getting warmer. Um, and so it's something that we're continuing to have to wrestle with as a society. And, and to your point before on that, on that um, demand, I think it's critical that the university maintain a leadership role in the energy uh, sector, and that includes all forms of energy from what people characterize as traditional to the uh, sustainable sources as well. And so um, the university, I think, has a real opportunity given our location in Texas to do great work to help find more innovative solutions to um, the energy needs of the world while also protecting the environment and our climate. I mean, yeah. And with the traditional senses, you know, fossil fuels, which is obviously fueling the climate crisis even worse, can you commit, uh, or will you commit the university to begin transitioning to a clean energy for its investments in fossil fuels to cease? Now, I, I, so one part is, so the investments in fossil fuels, I think it's important to, to disentangle what UT Austin does versus the system versus UTEMCO and the border regions. So that, that the big investments that people associate are done at the at the system level uh, through UTEMCO and with the board. So, um, as people like to say to me sometimes, it's about my pay grade. Um, so that's I think that part it's it's important. Um, the other part I think, and this is back to how we use uh, questions around energy. I think it's important in, in questions about how we, for example, produce the university's power to think about trade-offs and think about um, choices that we get to make about how we currently power the campus, what are alternative sources to power the campus, and what are the implications if we, if we made a change. Um, we today, to, to power the campus, we use less natural gas than we used in, I think it's 1976. And you think about all that's happened here, the new buildings, the growth, more students, more intense energy usage, cooling a bunch of computers, we're able to now power the campus using less energy than we used to. So um, our focus has largely been on conservation and efficiency, uh, trying to conserve the, the Earth's resources. 
um, but we still view using natural gas to power a lot of the campus as the best approach for that part of our power plant. Now, I know that you said it's, a, it's above your pay grade on whether or not with the investments, um, but would you advocate to those people that whose job it is to you know, make that transition and have those investments drop out? I, um, lot that goes into that. Yeah, there is. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, the, 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 this is, there's a whole, um, I'm not, as a finance professor, I'm not convinced that the best way to drive change is to have um, a certain sector of the investment community not invest in an asset class. Um, and so I think if the goal is to drive a conversation around climate or energy policy or energy usage, there are more effective tools than trying to advocate a position of not investing in, for example, energy companies. It's a loaded question to finance professor, I apologize. I'm trying to figure out a way not to give you a dissertation answer. <laughs> and then kind of going back to the legislature uh, last year, and, you know, there's a bill proposed for what was the Liberty Institute and is now at the to beat this institute last session, and then yeah, student government other bodies had called on you to rescind your support of it. Why didn't you rescind your support? Yeah, it goes back to a point I made earlier. I, I, think, um, I think what we should be aspiring to do as university is to do things at a high level with excellence. I also think it's important to bring diverse points of view and perspectives to campus, um, and this institute um, provided opportunity to both bring a different set of courses, conversations, topics um, to the conversations on campus, but also we continue to believe to do it at a very high level, so at a level of excellence from a scholarship standpoint. Um, I'm very excited about Justin Dyer's arrival as, as the director of the institute. Um, he's one of our PhD graduates, is a uh, renowned scholar, um, has, has done first-class work, and built um, a similar institute at the University of Missouri, but did it in a way that, uh, from everything I can tell and have learned, was, um, was part of the campus fabric. It was not something that was outside the norms of their campus. So I'm encouraged by the fact that um, he did it there, and I think he can do it here in a way that adds something to campus rather than, again, makes it more divisive. Time for one more. Pick a good one. All right. Go ahead and on right. So this is uh, the one first time that we've kind of talked to you in maybe two years almost. Um, and I was wondering, can you commit to interviewing with the Daily Texan every semester now? Yeah, I, I will c gladly commit to a regular interview. We'll figure out what the right cadence is. Yeah. But I th you're, look, you're our school paper. Um, it's important for us to have this dialogue. Um, and I think it's I appreciate what you all do, to be honest. Um, I'm, you may know my, um, my dad was a reporter, sports reporter, so not the hard-hitting in some ways, but he had moments, I guess, where it probably was. Um, but I think that the function of the press and journalism is important. Um, we have a world-class journalism department and, and, and uh, college newspaper, so I think it's key for the president to continue the dialogue.